All right, good morning again. Glad you're here. Some of you are here for the first time. Welcome. And welcome back. Hope you slept well. If I haven't met you, I'm Andrew Flatgard, and I'm an assistant pastor here at In Town Church. And I want to share a few things this morning with you, and then pray, and then turn it over to John Cox. Uh, we do have a handout. Uh, that handout is on different colored pages, but it's all one handout. So if you have one, you have everything you need for the conference. We'll have two sessions this morning, so we will have a break or intermission. And we'll have food and coffee out there, and um, the restrooms are when you exit. You just go straight back, keep going, and they are uh, on your left there. There are also other restrooms sort of down the hall that way, um, if you keep going that way, too, if the restrooms are packed. And uh, so John was with us last night. He's obviously with us this morning. And uh, he'll be here tomorrow morning at 9.30 for a joint Sunday school time. He'll teach some more and do some more Q&A if you'd like to join us for that. We have worship right afterward at 10.45, too. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, you are a good God. You are always good to us, and we feel that this weekend. Because you've sent John Cox to be with us, and you've already done some great things last night. Would you remind us this morning that you are at work in our lives? Would you, Holy Spirit, help us to see Jesus most of all? And would you open all of our hearts to what you might have to say this morning? Help us to respond to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank um, Luke who has worked all morning to make all of our equipment work. He's been working so hard. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, this is so fun for me, and last night was so fun for me. Those of you who have a history at Endown that uh, overlaps mine, I was telling somebody, I said, last night for me was sort of like the last chapter in Narnia. You know, where all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, it's Mr. Tumnus. And there's Glenn Storm the Centaur. Oh my gosh. And Caspian. It's like all your old friends are back again. There's this kind of heaven vibe, like seeing all y'all again and being with y'all like we used to. Um, I applaud you for being here uh, on a Saturday morning on behalf of your marriage. Um, I'm covetous for my Saturday mornings. I've worked all week. I want to be making like pancakes right now, you know, when it's rainy outside and maybe build a fire or something, but you guys are, are pouring this into your marriage. I uh, applaud you. Um, I think you can see some degree what I meant last night when I said this is a different kind of a marriage conference. I'm pushing you uh, this weekend. I am making this as complicated as it is, okay? I mean, half of what I do all day at work is put bad marriages back together, and this is how I do it. And church leaders often ask me, you know, how can we, what can we do, be doing to help marriages, and what's the deal with all these divorces? Well, a lot of the reason for, for, for that is that our culture doesn't really take that seriously how complicated and hard it is to do married well. There's a lot going on, and I want you to know what's going on. And you singles, I want you heads up. You're going to find Mr. Wonderful, and I don't want to be Johnny Raincloud or anything, but then it gets hard, all right? And I want you to know how hard works, okay? So I am pushing you, and I will own that. 
Uh, it reminds me of a story of an old man, an elder in our church. Um, this guy was like old as Alabama, man. Uh, <laughs> And we had a, a men's prayer breakfast, and uh, we had this like real erudite speaker on marriage come in who pontificated, this was early in the morning, on and on about the dyads and sub-dynamics of the marital interaction process, and it was this technical, long uh, presentation. And finally, when he finished and he closed in prayer, in that little moment between when you say amen and the chairs push back and we start to get up, there's that silence. And this old dude says loud enough for everybody to hear him, I'm just glad I got married for it got so complicated. <laughs> so, mea culpa, I agree, I am making this complicated, but all right, I apologize. So, last night we talked about four slash five areas that we have to have ticking to be able to function in real life. There's a great question somebody texted me of um, how do these four areas uh, tie into things like depression, anxiety, symptoms. That'll be a great thing for us to touch on. What we're going to do at Sunday school tomorrow is something I've done very often in churches, and that is basically we're going to do an hour-long Q&A. We're just going to free-for-all. And you can ask me parenting questions or uh, marriage questions or growth questions or whatever. And if I can't get to that question today, I want to get to it tomorrow. But um, we looked at four areas we have to have ticking in order to do life and to build a marriage that works well or to do dating that works well. And we have to have abilities in those areas, and we call them the four I's. We talked about intimacy and connection. We talked about identity and separateness and mutuality and imperfection, making sense of the yuck in life and in me, um, dealing with impulse control, emotional management, and most importantly, a repentant and open heart. And our point last night was that our relationships struggle not because your spouse is a jerk or just a sinner or whatever, or that you marry the wrong person, but because we all need these character abilities in our software, literally, to make life work, much less to make uh, marriage work. And obviously to make life work. How's your job going to go if you don't, uh, if you can't manage the imperfection issue of risking failing? How's your obedience going to go if you can't manage your impulses? Okay, we'll talk more about that in more Q&A. But this morning, we're going to look at two of our eyes. We're going to look at the first two, intimacy and identity. Um, in other words, intimacy, attachment, can I let you in, can I keep you in? And as regards identity, what we're going to talk about is conflict. In other words, if I'm me and you are you, uh, we're going to have conflict. And these are sort of two ba basic major themes for all of relationship. God calls them love and limits, or grace and uh, righteousness, uh, Mary and Martha, love, uh, love and connection versus separateness. They're a dynamic in uh, all of our relationships with each other and with God, and especially in marriage. Can we be close and both matter? Can we be one and yet still be two? That's vital. Um, that's what we're going to do this morning. I wish I could unpack them all. Um, all of my talks on all of, um, a lot of different topics, 
have been on my website, the John Cox Psychology thing, but I'm building a podcast now that's just a collection of everything I've done. Uh, not everything, but a, a representation of everything. And it's getting loaded up now, so it's just, you can get my stuff on various topics for free there, so I want you to have that. Since we can't go over every one of the eyes here. All right, so let's get started and talk about intimacy this morning. I'm thinking, you know, if you're going to be married, you might want to learn what it means to be close. I'm just spitballing here, but, you know, whatever. Now, guys get a lot of stereotypical hassle on this one, um, though it's not always the guy. I met, uh, I talked to a couple of guys last night and their spouses, and in each one of those, they're like, our marriage is like yours is enormous. The guy's the more relationally, emotionally oriented one. So it's definitely not always the guy, but we get a lot of hassle. Um, This joke communicates where a lot of us guys are regarding the whole intimacy thing. This little boy and little girl are playing one day, and the little girl says, hey, Johnny, you want to play house? And he says, yeah, what do you want me to do? She says, I want you to intimately communicate your feelings. And Johnny goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. She said, perfect, you can be the husband. And, you know, ladies want roses and poetry and, you know, romance and a guy whose favorite hobbies are committing more to relationships and growing to improve myself, you know. But instead, if you marry a Southern guy, you're dealing with somebody whose ultimate means of emotional expression is spray painting your name on an overpass. So, you know, this, this can be hard, okay? But this kind of intimacy is what marriage is for, naked and not ashamed, remember? God tells us that Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed. Now, that's not describing some sort of a nudist colony. What it means, what it's describing is a relational status. All right, try this on with me for a second. Adam and Eve in their marriage were able to be fully who they are, and it was welcome. You shared with your spouse really who you were, and it got you closer. No hiding, no criticism. If I felt hurt and brought it to you, you cared. If I messed up, I was forgiven. We were just ourselves, and we were loved, naked, and not ashamed. Seen, and it's welcomed. Anybody want that? We'll pass a sign-up sheet around, okay? And everybody would sign because not only do we long for this, we were created for this. We were made for this. Our souls were designed for that. And I think that's what heaven will be like. So much of what will be heavenly about heaven is the freedom and opportunity to at last not live in hiding. It's not good for the man to be alone. And when God says that, that's not just like the invention of marriage. It's the invention of connection. So this morning we're going to talk about what God calls abiding, shrinks call attachment, uh, last night we called it, can I let you in, can I keep you in, and this talk is going to be basically expanding that. Here's a little freebie, though we're going to be applying this to marriage and dating and romantic relationships, remember our theme last night, intimacy and connection, being known and open and connected with other people is not just a marital issue, it's a life issue. In other words, as we alluded, basic principle of heart growth and sanctification The parts of us that are not connected are not going to grow, all right? So what we're talking about when we talk about intimacy, we're going to apply it to your marriage, but this has application to 
where are the areas in my life where I am really known? We need to have intimacy and connection in other places too for our hearts to grow, okay? It's like that plant in the closet I talked about last night. So though we're going to apply it to marriage, intimacy is this ultimate piece. It penetrates us. It surrounds us. It binds the universe together, okay? Um, so we're going to say three things about marriage and intimacy this morning. Number one, what intimacy is some levels of it, what it is and what it's not. Secondly, some ways in which we can struggle with it as couples and uh, some ways it can get glitchy and we can get into some dances on it. And thirdly, how we can both grow. So number one, what do we mean when we talk about intimacy? It just occurred to me one day that people are always talking about, you know, couples need more intimacy in their relationship, more connection. I'm like, well, exactly what does that mean? What does that look like? I mean, I'm a shrink. I know what it means. But regular people, have they really thought, what are we talking about? By the way, one of the things that I've noticed is that no matter what a couple comes to see me for in marriage therapy, they always say, well, I think our problem is that we just uh, you know, need to learn to communicate better. And I kind of go, no, actually, it seems like you're very good at communicating that you hate each other's guts. You're like dead on. Your communication is awesome. It's very clear. I don't think this is a communication issue. Um, <laughs> maybe there's something else going on. Um, but first thing to realize is I want to give you a grid for um, there are different levels of intimacy uh, just so we can kind of know what we're talking about and what we're not talking about. Being intimate is sort of like being rich. It's a relative term. There are different concentric layers of it. So being rich in Buckhead and being rich in Noxipater, Mississippi, those are kind of different things. Um, so when one spouse says, I want to really know you, and to the other spouse that means I want you to really know that I like light starch in my cleaners, we got a marital problem there, all right? So... <laughs> So I like to name four levels of intimacy, and I actually think I came up with these levels here with you guys here. So you oldsters, you're going to remember my little theme. I'm still using it. I still like it. First level, remember, I call drive through This is the level of personal intimacy with another human being in which you say things like, do you want fries with that? Okay, that's why I call it drive through In other words, this is just superficial. The only reason that we're talking here is because we're just crossing paths, how you doing, fine, you say to the person on the elevator, two please, you know, if this describes the depth of your intimacy in your marriage and romantic relationship, then please see me after class, okay? Now, number two, I call new sports and weather, and that is where we chit-chat. Um, you know, you, you're hanging around in the foyer and you're like, you know, can you believe all the traffic, or how about them hawks, or how's your mama and them, and, you know, basically news and sports and weather. It's going to rain all day, glad we're not up north, or it's going to freeze all day. Now, every relationship begins with the chit-chatty news, sports, and weather um, superficiality, and that's not necessarily bad. I mean, every relationship starts there, all relationships go there some. Um, you need to be able to do superficial sometimes. I had this friend at Rosemead who could not do superficial. She was always deep. So you'd see her on campus and go, hey, Sally, what's up? She'd go, well, I've been having a lot of anxiety and depressive ideation and some real issues with my family of origin. But, and you're like, oh, my gosh, me too. You know, that's, <laughs> see ya, you know. <laughs> like, Sally, you need some new sports and weather here, okay? So we got to do that. Um, superficial's Okay. 
Uh, but if your relationships just stay there and live there, you'll be, you know, probably well-informed on all the superficial scoop, but, you know, superficial. Some marriages settle into this, and all they talk about is the new sports and weather. What's going on with the kids? What about our budget? You know, you hear the latest scandal about so-and-so, and they've kind of settled into the roommate phenomenon, all right? These people have given up at some level. Let's not give up, all right? Which brings us to the next one, which I call TCB. Any Elvis fans here? What does TCB mean? Taking care of business. All right. Those of you who don't know it, Elvis's entourage, they had a saying. Like when Elvis needed stuff done, they'd be going, taking care of business, Elvis. Taking care of business. And they called it TCB. I think that's even on his gravestone. It actually should be TCBB, T- taking care of business, baby. All right. <laughs> but... <laughs> This is where you live practically functionally with friends and coworkers and people we know. Thoughts, opinions, problem solving. This is what we did getting started saying, okay, this is in your handout and, you know, John will be doing a Q&A tomorrow and all that. This is where you give opinions. I like to eat at Canoe. I just love it. Can we stay within our budget? I think we should get the used car. In other words, you're offering opinions and thoughts. This is Martha in the Bible working this is what I'm doing right now. And this is legit, okay? You got to be able to make life work and function. If this was a talk on making life function, we could stand for the benediction at this point, okay? Um, in other words, this is legit. It's necessary. But if TCB is all you can do, if that's as far down as you can go, your life is going to run like a sewing machine, and people are going to like you, and you're going to make life work. And granted, this is more intimate than anything you've done so far. This is your opinions and your ideas. But if this is as deep as you can go relationally with another person, it's actually going to be sadder than that scene where they lock up Dumbo's mother because there'll be this real sense in which people won't really know you. This still isn't about your deepest heart, okay? And this is a talk on intimacy and marriage needs intimacy. Adam had meaningful work to do in the garden, but not intimacy, and God said, not good. We got to get some human contact in there, all right? So here's where we make the shift to level four, which God calls abiding, so I am too. This is Jedi level, okay? This is where you're strong enough. Like we were saying last night, uh, the person was talking about being able to be weak how strong you have to be in order to be weak. This is when you're strong enough, courageous enough to give up needing to be Steve McQueen or Gwyneth Paltrow or, you know, those people who kind of have it all together and actually be the person you are with the person you're with. This is let you in from last night. This is where I get to look into another person's eyes and know they know some real garbage about me, but those eyes still love me. I am known and you get my heart. You don't get that at any other level. And I think it's the foundation for a good marriage. Here's another way of saying it. There's a concept in psychology called your true self. That is real you, not chameleon you. Um, it's, you, you know the Chris Rock joke? Um, he says, when somebody first meets you, they ain't meeting you. They're meeting your representative somebody sent ahead to make you look good, okay? In other words, we all have that facade thing, 
but what about our true self? Like really what it feels like to be me? Who am I when I'm by myself? What's it like to be John? What do I believe and hold on to? That real me. Um, Now, abiding, connecting, level four, is simply that true self of me shared, Um, right? Think about it even superficially. You have a subjective experience of yourself when you wake up in the morning. You wake up on Monday morning, and what's it like to be you? You wake up and you go, oh, God, hope it stopped raining um, I've got that report due Thursday, but I have a little time today. Oh, but I have a fun lunch. I hope traffic's not bad. Do you hear you? That's you, okay? Everyone shake hands with you, okay? Basically, TCBers, this is why your abider, connector spouse wants to talk about your day. It's not because they're secretly writing the autobiography of Dr. John L. Cox, Okay, it's because your experience of your life, what it was like to be you today, is your heart, and they want to know you. They're not wanting to go every, over every meeting you're ready to forget. They want to hear what it was like to be you. Okay, now that's superficial. That's easy. Okay, but real abiding and connecting has to do more with my real heart. Things that we feel like scared or tender or meaningful or hurt, can I share those things with you? Let me give you an example. I'm going to tell you the same story from TCB version and from abiding level four version. My youngest daughter, Bonnie, uh, wanted to be a nurse. And uh, yet Bonnie scholastically was not like, it was difficult for her. She struggled. So she goes to nursing school. She's living with us during some of that time. There was times in which she was really struggling you know, we would actually help her study for tests and would call out, you know, words for her to help her learn. So anyway, she ultimately passes, she graduates, it's really great, and then she gets a job at the hospital where my office is associated with the hospital. And um, so like I saw her at the hospital, okay? You get the, get the data here? Abiding version. Bonnie struggled so much, and yet she longed so much to be a nurse, and she was constantly struggling. And it's like we prayed her through nursing school. Um, And I'll never forget when she graduated, the kind of celebration we had. But the best part was this. She got a job at my hospital. Now, I knew she had started working, but I hadn't really put all the pieces together. So one day I'm walking through the lobby of the hospital, and there's this little blind nurse walking in front of me. Now, I don't think anything about this. They're all little blonde nurses. You know, it's like Oompa Loompas. They're all little blonde nurses, you know? <laughs> but all of a sudden, for some reason, this little Oompa Loompa stops in her tracks and turns around and looks at me. It's Bonnie. With all of her little badges and her dangly little junk and her stethoscope around her neck, you know, Oh my gosh. All right, you get the difference? One is the facts, telling you what happened. The other, you got my heart. You got what it was like for me when the Oompa Loompa turned around. It was like, whoa, oh my gosh. Can I share my heart with you? Can I let you in? That's all intimacy is. Nothing spooky and psychological. We're not rolling chicken bones here, okay? Just share me, okay? 
All right, let's talk about feelings for just a minute because this is very much about feelings. And feelings kind of get a bad name in Christianity sometimes, rightly so in some ways, because it's legit. Our faith is fact-based, okay? God is real, and we know that, and we cherish that, and we hold on to that and protect that. And in regard to fact-based decisions like, does God love me? Is he real, or is that truck going to hit me? How I feel about it really doesn't make that much difference, okay? As Ben Shapiro says to the left-wing people, facts don't care about your feelings, okay? Now, all of that can make us somewhat legitimately see feelings as not that important, because regarding reality, they're not. But relationally speaking, this isn't the Council of Chalcedon, this is a marriage conference, all right? Relationally speaking, what you feel is core to who you are. So if we had a discussion after our meeting about something stupid and superficial like how often you should change your oil, you probably wouldn't remember that. But if I said something, if I insulted you, if I hurt your feelings, you'd remember that. Like two years from now, they'd be going, oh, I'm going to get John Cox to come back. You're going to go, great. You know what he said to me like two years ago? Why? Because I would have hurt your feelings. In other words, subjectively speaking, how I feel and what I feel and what your spouse feels has to matter in the relationship for us to have real intimacy. I have to get it and hear it and see what you feel, even if it doesn't make sense yet. We'll talk about that in a second. I saw this couple one time, and she came in, like walked in the room ahead of him, and she was already crying. And she sat down and she said, he hurt me so much in the waiting room. He told me I was fat. And so he walks in, and I look at him, he's this total left-brain, digital, TCB, you know, brainiac kind of guy. I think he built his own positron collider in his backyard. I mean, you know, has no clue about feelings, and he sort of looks at me, and he looks at her, and he goes, well, she is, isn't she? And I'm like, professionally speaking, your diagnosis is galactically stupid, Okay. <laughs> Like, good night, Vienna, man, dude. And he's totally not connected to what it feels like to be a person. This last week, I was seeing a couple, and this guy's a super TCBer. His wife had just lost her job, and she says, I'm hurting because I really want to talk with him about it, and I want him with me in it, and he just doesn't get it. And I said, so what are you thinking about the job? And he said, I wrote it down, he said, um, well, I don't see it as a bad choice because her boss retired. But I do want to know what her plans are because I need to make adequate preparation. And I'm like, I think I'm starting to see y'all's problem, okay? <laughs> there was this total lack of engagement from him about, oh, baby, I know you're, I mean, your boss quit and now all of a sudden your job's just gone. And, he, and there wasn't any sort of engagement of what it felt like to be her. That's what we're talking about here. That's the other side of this. Can I share me, but can I hear you? Intimacy is, 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 is a back and forth game. This is what we mean when we say empathy, you know, trying on someone else's feelings. Let me ask you, when I told the second story about Bonnie and seeing her in the hospital, and uh, did you feel it? Okay, good, see? Like I asked you last night, you guys are being emotionally attuned to me. You're letting what I feel connect to you. You're like, yeah, wow. Okay, now translating that into your relationships is what it means to open your heart up, okay? 
One of the deepest ways we connect people is to try on what they feel. I walked in the house one night, um, and Norma looked kind of down. And uh, I asked how she was. She said, I'm depressed. And I said, of course you are. Your mom is so sick, and -and so-and-so, and -and so-and-so had happened, and -and so-and-so had happened that hurt you so much. You've been through so much lately. I bet you're depressed. And she started to cry. Now why? Because she'd been gotten. Okay? Remember dude's question from last night about depression and sadness? Once we get connected, then we can start being sad. Right? I call it empathy. The greatest psychology called it love. Psychologists called it love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? So intimacy. Can I bring who I am in the relationship? Can I hear who you are in the relationship? Okay, we're not balancing the national budget here. It's not, not that hard. Now, this is great, but let's get honest about our hearts. We all get a little bit squirrely when we start talking about this kind of level of connection, even with our spouse. Like, I'm inviting you to really touch the heart of your spouse. Most people are like, mm, I'm actually better, I'm good with communication skills, and you assign us a couple of date nights, Doc. You know, that's kind of what I came for, you know. Um, Why do we get uncomfortable here? I mean, why why aren't we all just rushing to level four intimacy all the time? You know, God created us for it, right? Why aren't we all just like, wee, here's my heart, you know? Uh, What's a reason? Give me a reason. It's scary. Exactly. You know? Um, By the way, I asked that TCB guy who's talking to his wife about her job. I asked him later on, I said, can I ask you a question? You really did not engage her emotions at all. Do you have any sense of what's going on for you about that? And to his credit, he told me, there isn't anybody in my life who I trust enough to share what it feels like to be me. And I'm like, and welcome to my dojo, man. Let's make it safe. Anyway, since we're fallen, and since you're fallen too, sharing real me, knowing real me can got, kind of get kind of sticky and vulnerable. I mean, before the fall, think about it. The Bible tells us that Adam and Eve were naked and what? Not ashamed. Okay? Now, why does it say that so overtly? They were naked and not ashamed. The Bible says that so overtly because it's weird. The Bible is saying, okay, <laughs> I know the Bible just got started, but you're not going to believe this. when these guys were naked they were not ashamed i mean try that on man because that's his point it's like you know because the rest of us when we're naked we are ashamed i don't i don't think i really want you to see real me i'm afraid i'd rather you think i was 10 feet tall good looking and bulletproof frankly okay now this is one of the problems of the human race by the way and it's an interesting problem as a therapist because every human wants two conflicting things at the same time. What I long for the most in my life is love and connection and belonging. And what I'm most afraid of in my whole life is the vulnerability of love and connection and belonging. No wonder we need a savior, right? Anyway, this is a huge reason that marriage is hard. We all fear exposure and humiliation and shame. 
And marriage like throws the most vulnerable parts of us out into the open. You, you, you can't hide that from your spouse. They know you whether you want to or not. I'm not sure I want her to. Okay? This is one of the reasons that um, affairs can be appealing, especially the more superficial ones. You know, these guys are like, I love Trixie because she understands me. And I'm like, no, your wife understands you. She knows you're a jerk. <laughs> Actually, you love Trixie because she doesn't understand you. She thinks you're amazing, okay? Um, <laughs> she has no idea who you are. You're the most misunderstood man in a relationship. That's why she likes you. So in real relationship, we might get hurt or might get humbled. Why else? Why might, else might we not want to go? I alluded to it last night. A lot of families just don't teach this. I see a ton of people who say, in my family, what goes on below the surface of what you feel was just nothing we ever talked about. You learn to keep it to yourself. Or mom's feelings dominate the family or, 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 or dad's drinking makes everybody hide. Do you all remember the story I told you years back about Norman at a restaurant and this family of four is sitting there and they go to, to dinner and they all pull out books. And they sat there the whole meal and never interacted with one another a single bit. And the waitress would come and they would order and they'd go back to their books. And their food would come and they'd hold their books to their left hand and they'd eat with their right. And they never left their books. And Norm and I were spellbound. We were like ordering more desserts and stuff just because it's like, <laughs> I want to see what happens here, you know. And I, and I had this, I had this thought, I'm like, you know, here's little Billy and he's, you know, uh, his nose buried in a book in a family that doesn't talk at all. I'm thinking, what's he going to be like as a husband? You know, his wife's going to go, Billy, where, where are you tonight? And he's going to go, page 32. What, what are you talking about? You know? <laughs> Here's a third reason that's actually, there's, I have a talk on this that I'm still kind of working on, but um, we're talking about intimacy, and intimacy sounds kind of sweet, and it sounds kind of like, uh, you know, holding hands at a two-top. Like, oh, you guys need more intimacy, you know? And you're like, yeah. Okay, but real intimacy uh, ain't always sweet. If real intimacy is about you knowing my heart, sometimes that stuff is hard. I call this hard intimacy. In other words, here's a statement of real intimacy. Um, you really hurt me last night. That's intimate, man. How open to we are those feelings? I'm scared about how much money you're spending. That's my heart. Okay, so one, another reason intimacy is hard is because once you start wanting to know another person, you start hearing things that aren't so fun to hear. And how good are we, this is not a talk for today, but we can address it more if you want, but how good are we at being strong enough to hear someone else's, your spouse's disappointment in you or the fact that they're angry at you from last night and us keep our poise? One of the things that is intriguing to me is how threatened most of us are if our spouse is upset. And I don't want to pick on us men, but especially men. We're like, like when our wives are mad, we're like little boys. It's like, I'm mad at you about last night. And we're like, what? I didn't do anything. You know? What would it look like, guys, to have the poise to go, oh, well, what are you mad about? What do you need? Let's talk about it. In other words, I'm not like one down, mommy's mad, okay? 
marriages get stronger when I'm strong enough to say, okay, you're angry and I'm not going to dance monkey dance because of that, but I'm certainly going to invite it and we can talk about it. As we'll talk in the next talk, the solution ultimately is, okay, cool, you're mad and let's talk about it. I'm glad to hear your heart. Now let's get some mutuality going and figure out how we can take care of each other in solving this problem, which is where we're going to go next. But I just want to throw that in. Another reason intimacy is hard is because there's hard intimacy. There's kind of yucky stuff that we need to be pretty strong in order to manage. All right, so a lot of reasons intimacy can be hard, but it's necessary for us. So TCB, what she means when she says she wants you to hear her feelings, or as I said, not all TCBers are men. A lot of them are women. When he's needing to complain about work, TCB ladies, is that for level four people, which I am one, feelings communicate the deepest part of who we are. And if you care about creating intimacy or warmth or more depth in your marriage, you will learn to let feelings matter. Now, caveat, as you already know at some level, feelings are not always going to make sense. Don't let that stump you. One, t- one night in the middle of the night, Norma woke me up in the middle of the night, like, hitting me, hitting me. And I'm like, what? And she said, I just had this dream. We were driving through the desert, and you just drove off and left me there. What am I supposed to say to that? I said, well, go back to sleep. I'll come pick you up. I mean, what do you, what do you want me to do? So feelings aren't always going to make sense, okay? Uh, and TCBers have a point. One couple is telling me he, he's a fixer. This guy's a fixer. He's always like, well, you know, if, if, if that's what's going on, well, I'll tell you what you need to do. And he never just sits and hears her feelings. So he's trying to learn to more just let her matter. So he comes down on the way to work, and his wife goes, oh, oh, honey, before you leave for it, the car has a flat. It's in the garage. Got a flat tire. And he said, honey, I want to share with you that I really understand that that would feel frustrating and scary and very difficult for you. Thank you for sharing your feelings. I'm going to work. And <laughs> He fixed the tire, but it was funny. Um, another, by the way, regarding this whole intimacy thing, I think this kind of abiding intimacy of heart-to-heart meeting what it feels like to be you and what it feels like to be me, and we can bring that, is the grounding foundation for sexuality. 99% of the people who come to my office who have dissatisfying sex lives, the problem resides here in the intimacy and sometimes the identity part of their relationship, not the sexual part. I've never really understood sex therapy. To me, that's like being a fever doctor. Um, a sexual issue is a symptom of something that's coming out of the heart. Bottom line, I tell people is that sexuality ought to be a physical expression of the emotional intimacy that we are having. One of the ways I look at it is I, I like to talk to people about sex is, as a language. Sex is a language. A way of speaking and communicating something. It's like English, okay? It's a language of intimacy, a belonging connections, this oneness and belonging that I can communicate because words don't cut it. See, when God invented man and woman in love, he ended up kind of accidentally painting himself into a corner, if we could say that, because he created something that there's no way to communicate in English. How do I, how do I, what are they going to do now? They have this oneness and this naked and not ashamedness. How do you communicate that level of belonging in English? 
English doesn't cut it. So he said, great idea. I'm going to create in another language, a language of sexuality that can say with my heart and my eyes and my skin and our togetherness, you are my one and my only and my belonging. If you can understand sex as a language to communicate the truth of your heart to one another, it will make so much more sense to you. All right? This is one of the reasons that sex outside of marriage is not just destructive. It's stupid, super stupid. Because how do you say you are my one and my only belonging with all of this language to multiple people? Okay, see, that's kooky. So sex is a language that should be reflecting our hearts. And if you think back into your marriage, if your hearts don't have anything really very uh, interesting to communicate, then the sex language will become a boring conversation, if you get my drift, okay? By the way, T.C. Beers, this is why your abider connector spouse can look at you like you're crazy if you've been disconnected and distant emotionally all day and then all of a sudden want to get frisky, okay? For them, it's like you're saying, I don't like America, I hate the USA, I took down the flag, I'm not into patriotism, but let's have a big 4th of July party tonight. (laughs) And they're like, wait, I thought you hated America and it completely pulled out. You've been on Timbuk emotionally all day, and now you want to get frisky. And he's like, yeah, I just like fireworks and hot dogs. I don't get it. What's the problem, you know? (laughs) And to them, it feels like you're wanting the ultimate expression of emotional connection without the emotional connection. And that can feel kooky to them, okay? On the other hand, to be fair, sex is also a language of fun, and TCBers get that. So don't knock it till you tried it, you know, okay? Uh, another, by the way, here is um, regarding intimacy, is couples in the trenches um, always ask me at this point, yeah, Doc, all this intimacy stuff, that's cool and awesome, um, but our lives are so crazy busy with the little kids and everything. We don't have the bandwidth to like shut everything down and be intimate, okay? That's a good question. Let me give you a couple of answers. One answer is, let's say, that this season of your life is actually incredibly challenging. Uh, when I was studying uh, it, 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 marital process in grad school, I ran across this piece of research that graphed marital satisfaction over the lifespan. Now, what it said was that Initially, when you get married, the marital satisfaction is really high. You're newlyweds, everything's great. And then you start to have children. (laughs) And then those children stick around for a while. And then the children leave. (laughs) And so I call this living in the bottom of the U. In other words, yeah, legitimately, you're living in the bottom of the U, man. In other words, there's the season of life where intimacy becomes harder because of the demands of kids and all that, which means you've got to be a little bit more direct, overt, conscious about creating it. But it became a buzzword. When I was uh, teaching Sunday school all the time at my own home church, I would talk about this a lot. And we'd see our friends, you know, dragging kids into church on a rainy day and like, hey, guys, how are y'all? And they'd go, we're living in the bottom of the U, man. <laughs> Okay. 
And it's funny, y'all will talk about this. It's funny, I'll go to conferences and talk about this, and people will come up to me afterwards, like maybe Sunday morning, and go, uh, yeah, John, my name's Bob. Look, we're totally in the bottom of the U, so we're, uh, you know, it's like the way they talk now. All right, so recognize, I feel your pain, and it's true. Gotcha. But number two, um, intimacy's not just about date night. Intimacy's not just about like time just you together. Intimacy is I know your heart and you know mine. So look for times to be together, great, awesome. But some of the deepest connection I've ever had with my wife is across a gurney in an emergency room when our child's getting her broken leg set. And we're both scared and we're both hurting and my eyes meet her eyes and we are walking life together. And I am scared and she is too and, and our child is hurting and we will hold on to that for the rest of our lives. We felt it again this week with the baby in the hospital. In other words, connection is about my heart living with yours. Not necessarily time to sit down and go, and here's how my day felt. Okay? So, broaden, so number two, broaden your definition. We live intimacy. We don't just do intimacy. Okay? Which reminds me, I'm kind of pushing on abiding and intimacy because it's our topic. But don't forget, legitimately, TCB and abiding are both important. Practically speaking, I want to throw you TCB as a bone here. Practically speaking, we will not spend most of our time doing intimate connection, okay? You got to do TCB to make life work. You know those couples who all they do is abide in loving, gazy oneness all the time? You know, they usually have a family tree house and they make Chinese paper lanterns, you know? But when you get down to it, like nobody's running this love fest, you know, they've got like six kids in dirty diapers and two rusty Volvos in the garage, and it's like nobody's paying the bills, you know, uh, but they, they're just two abiders, you know. Um, the reason they like their family tree house is like, because they can hide from the bill collectors there. But um, so TCB is important. By the way, it's one of the reasons us emotional connectors married you TCB people in the first place. Because compared to us, you felt really grounded and, and you brought sort of structure and order to our life. And that felt safe for us when we first met you. And then later on, we marry you and we resent you for it. Oh my gosh, you're so digital and unemotional, which is actually why I married you. But now I realize my mistake, you know. <laughs> the goal, by the way, is to be integrated like Christ, okay? It means TCBers, as, as, you're, as you're hearing this, be going, huh? wow, I think I do need to grow more in terms of uh, pulling up the emotional part of my heart. And us relater emotional abider types, we need to get grounded. We need to pull into frontal lobes sometimes. We need to have a bunch of emotion that's about to come gushing out and go, wait, I need to kind of think about solving this problem. There's growth for each here, okay? Now, another balance, we've been talking a lot about let you in, but remember there's another side of this, and that is keep you in. And that's that question we asked last night of, you know, some of us abider types are all excited. Yeah, the doc's talking about sharing more. That's what marriage conferences are about, learning to share more. But the flip side of this is, what am I doing with intimacy when I get it? Can I hold on to it? Can I keep it? Can I trust it? The deficits of people who live in a kind of a needy, insecure, I don't feel like we're doing well kind of position all the time, those issues throw as much junk into a marriage as that spouse who's not able to connect at all, okay? Remember that guy who said women need five meaningful touches a day, 
in order to feel loved. I'm thinking, okay, that's cool, but I'm kind of wondering, what'd she do with the first four? Just asking, okay? Us abider types need to take responsibility for that. Otherwise, what can happen is we can live in our marriage with this sort of urgency and hunger. It's funny, you know, sometimes normal will just be quiet. And I'll, I like to cook, as you remember, and I'll be cooking, and she'll be sitting in the sitting room in the kitchen and not saying a word. She won't say a word. She'll look on her phone or reading a book. And, and, and my little emotional parts version of it is, and ignoring me. Isn't that interesting? So something in me starts to want to go, um, are you okay? Okay? And this neediness and insecurity starts to come out. Now, what's she going to feel? She's going to feel like, yeah, I'm okay. Can't I just sit here and be quiet and you not get worried? I'm like, well, I don't know. You were just really quiet. And you see how my neediness started picking a fight there? Okay? If we're not careful, us relator connector types get so into connection that we're always kind of like, are you okay? All right? And that creates a dance. As you started to hear happen with that story with me and Norma, I'm like, are you okay? Yeah, I am. And we start escalating. Here's a secret of the universe you need to have about marriage. Fundamental. This is key to marriage and romantic relationships, dating, whatever. you got to understand that marriage problems are not cause-effect. A, a cue ball hits the eight ball in the corner pocket. Marriage issues are cyclical. In other words, I do A, which makes you do B, which makes me do A worse, which makes you do B worse. Okay? Um, one of the things that I do in premarital counseling, actually I prefer pre-engagement, just so that'll go on the recording. Because once you do premarital, they're already engaged and the mamas are involved. You know, and the mama's best friends have already had the save the date cards. And it's like, I'm about to mess up a lot of people's lives. So come see me before you get engaged. That's safer, okay? But one of the ways, we don't want to have to call the printer, you know. Uh, one of the ways that I want to work with a young couple is I want them to get married already knowing their dances. You're going to tend to do this, which is going to make you tend to do that. And y'all are going to be doing this to the old folks' home. So you might as well learn what your dance is now. We're going to be talking about dances for the rest of the morning here now. But, like, I have a couple right now. And uh, he's kind of a, a big kind of a controller type, and she really wants to have a voice in the relationship. And she's felt kind of oppressed by him, like his way or the highway, but she wants to be her. So, admittedly speaking, when she is her and shares her opinion, it has a little snap to it. Like, this is me. I, no, I disagree. She wants to exist. Now... He gets real threatened by that because he wants to be in control of everything and feels like anytime she does that, he's bas she's basically saying, your opinion is stupid, my opinion is good. So he hears her opinion, and instead of going, huh, thanks for sharing, babe, let's figure it out, he's like, oh my gosh, like, you just disagree with everything I say. Do you think I'm stupid or something? Which she hears, okay, here's the dance, feeling the dance. She hears it as him trying to oppress her again. So guess what? She ups the ante a little more and says, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just trying to exist in this relationship. And he's like, well, that's not, you feel how they're escalating? You feel how they're dancing? The more she does A, the more he does B. Fundamental piece in a marriage is to know what your dances are, all right? So let's talk in this talk, we'll talk some more in the conflict talked about dances, but let's talk more about some dances with intimacy, Okay. Kind of like dances with wolves, only without the Indians. Okay? Tatanka. Tatanka. Okay. Anyway, 
Sometimes you'll have a real abider who marries a real TCB or happens all the time. And again, I'm talking about two categories here, kind of like we were talking about last night. They're always a continuum. You're not absolutely either or, but you're going to tend toward one. Anyway, so let's say a biter comes with all these feelings. I'm sad about this. I'm mad about what my friend said. I wish this. In other words, a lot of level four feelings to their TCB spouse. Now, what's TCB spouse going to say? Well, why don't you take up jogging? Or let me talk to her. I'll tell her where she can put her carpool. You know? In other words, who cares what you feel? That doesn't solve anything. We need to fix the problem. Now, by the way, why do they do that? Do they do that because they don't care? They do that because your feelings and your heart don't matter? No, they do that because they're level three people. They're getting off at that stop on the elevator, okay? If you try to get a level three TCB person to engage emotionally without them having some real awareness of needing to do so, they know speak of the language. They know habla, okay? So you're kind of at two different universes. It's not that one of you is good and one of you is bad. Remember the blame marriage? We're not doing blame marriage anymore. It's just that you're operating at different levels. We want to get you on the same level. So anyway, a biter wants to be all close and intimate. TCB wants to solve problems and be done with it. Well, a biter's not okay with all that, all, all that problem solving and Netflix and all that kind of stuff. And they ain't very happy. That doesn't feel very emotional and intimate to them. So what do they do? And here goes our dance. They start demanding closeness from Elvis and criticizing him for being such a distant flatliner. You know, all you want is sex. Or instead of getting married, you should have just hired a maid. Or living with you is like living with an android. And these things, of course, just woo him to her. Okay? Um, in other words, here's our dance still going. How does problem solver hear that? The worst way possible, the worst thing you can say to a problem-solving person is that you're a failure, you're not making me happy, you're not happy with our performance, so what does TCB do? And the dance continues. They withdraw, they disconnect, they get out of Dodge, they're on a swamp somewhere, on a golf course, okay? So now Priscilla feels really abandoned, he's on Neptune emotionally, so she, what does she do? More, dan more, more demanding, which makes him pull away more. And this is a classic dance, the approacher-avoider dance, Okay? Super important for you to learn your dances. Um, another dance real quickly. I saw a couple, and he was really sort of insecure and needed lots of affirmation. And his wife, she loved him and everything, but she was kind of low-key. And uh, he, he would get kind of insecure, and he would say to her, he'd go, I love you. Now, she heard that exactly the way you just did. Not as a declaration of his heart for her, but more as kind of a little pleading, like, please tell me you love me, okay? And she would go, Love you too, okay, which totally didn't scratch his itch, which makes him go, well, you're not acting like it, and you can see the cycle. Got it? Super important. Learn to know your dances. We'll talk about it more in a minute. All right, how do we grow here? <clears throat> Let's start with T.C. Beers. Number one, TCBers, learn to see the emotional world as valid. I hope you're getting that point here this morning. I hope I'm not driving it into the ground. But a lot of guys feel like that if they're going to go be into being emotionally connected, it means they're going to have to like open up on the golf course or something. You know, guys, uh, I know we're about to putt, but I just wanted you to know I, 
I got this aching void within me, you know. That's not what I'm talking about, all right? All intimacy means is you have some relationships in which you're not alone. There's a lot of talk nowadays about men are, you know, women are into relating and connecting and men are into problem solving and goal attainment and all that. I guess there's some validity to that. Um, But think about how all this marriage stuff started. Okay? I mean, God didn't come to Adam in the garden and say, hey, Adam, I know you're great with your, you know, your mountain bike and your ESPN, but I'm going to invent this woman and, uh, well, she's going to need a lot, uh, man. And you're going to have to learn to share your feelings and probably you're going to have to learn some communication skills too. But do this for me. I mean, I, you know, we, we've been through a lot, you know. That's not how it happened. God comes to Adam and he says, hey, Adam, I see you in a place of deep emotional need. I see how much you are lacking Let me give you something, someone that you desperately need. Marriage was invented because of how needful us men are. And to the degree that any of us, man or woman, are out of touch with that longing that we were created to have to be connected like that, we are living out of step in some way with the way that God created us to be. And there's going to be fruit of it somewhere. Okay, and loneliness or depression or addictions or whatever. So TC Beers, if you don't care about all this closeness stuff, see that as a problem. Okay, everything else on this planet is longing. Paul says it's groaning. So if you're not, you know, check your ticket stub, make sure you got off at the the right planet because the rest of us here are struggling. And if your spouse is saying you don't get it, believe them, let them teach you. We all have blind spots. Remember last night? Second message to TCBers: Learn to be with. We alluded to this. Ah, that was Thursday night. As we said, what do TCBers feel like they need to do if someone says, "I'm hurting," or "I'm sad," or "I'm mad at my best friend"? They're problem solvers. Remember, what do they feel like they need to do? They need to fix it, right? Take on the problem, resolve it, address it, make it all better which is overwhelming to anyone. This person in my life who's always emoting and bringing problems and I have to be there to help them solve it for crying out loud? Wow. And ultimately I'm going to get sick of that and pull away and disconnect and we're off to our dances again, right? So here's the good news. You don't have to fix them. Let me give you a simple little model for what it looks like and sounds like to engage anyone's emotional heart your kids your friends your your small group and very much your spouse three places that i think we can go regarding other people's feelings we can blow them off we can fix it or we can learn what it means to be with blow off is basically we're going to like push their feelings back and not care fix is i'm going to need to get in there and make it all better with is about i get it and i hear you And I'm grateful for you telling me, and I care. If you think about it, with is God's favorite preposition. Go read the Bible. He uses it constantly. Yea, though you walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will go make it all better. No, I'll be with you. Emmanuel, God with us. Lo, I'll be with you always into the end of the age. With, 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 with. God responds to his people's suffering by one day redeeming it, by coming and joining us in the suffering. But in the meantime, he says, I am with you always. With 
is what heals our pain. So let's look at some examples. Your kid hates their supper. Blow off says, well, you think about the starving kids in India. You're lucky to have any dinner. Eat your dinner. I don't care that you don't like it. Fix is, well, then, baby, we'll order you Domino's. What would you like? Two for one special. <laughs> With says, yeah, kid, I get it. Yeah. A lot of times we don't like what gets you know, served for us for dinner, and that stinks. That's hard. I get it. I care. But, you know, as they say on TV, it's what's for dinner. All right, so you need to eat it, okay? And we don't do a love and limits kind of with with that kid. Somebody's dealing with a death. Blow off is like, well, I mean, you know, he's with the Lord. You know, we should rejoice. Fix is like, um, hey, after the funeral, let's you and me go and just like, you know, blow it out. You need a, you need a break, man. With is, You know why you don't know what to say at a funeral? Because there's nothing to say at a funeral. We love you. We're going to walk with you through this. See, my heart's with you. Okay? So that means with your spouse, they're telling you about their heart, a big disappointment. You don't need to take it on and fix it. You need to say, baby, oh my gosh. You did all that work and somebody else at the at work got the credit? Sweetheart, that would feel terrible. Tell me what you need. How can I give to you? And you know what she's going to say? She's going to go, I don't need anything. I just wanted you to know I needed you with me. Okay? Now you're done. Just walk away. <laughs> Mischief managed. You got it. All right? And where's with? I'm just going to be connected with you in it. Okay? I, by the way, I had a, a TCB guy ask me once after a conference. He came up to me and goes, uh, yeah, I understand what you're saying about being with and all that feelings and all that stuff, but uh, what if her feelings are wrong? <laughs> I said, in what way do you find them wrong? She, and he said, she believes everybody in the church hates her, and that's just not true. So am I just supposed to like be empathetic with the fact that she's hated by everyone when that's not true? And I said, well, that's actually a good question. I said, true statement, most of our pathological wounded feelings are incorrect, okay? We tend to see things through child eyes very often. But in order to get someone out of that distortion, you got to hear them first. Unless somebody's grossly unrepentant. With unrepentant people, we often lead with the truth. You got to rebuke the unruly. But anybody who is hurting or broken or vulnerable and there is truth to tell, you can't tell it until you've administered the anesthesia of grace and love and hearing. A, a distorted, kooky feeling will never get better unless it's heard, loved, and understood first. Then later on you can come back and go, hey, by the way, honey, I've heard some things that kind of mitigate against how you were feeling about the church. If you'd like to hear them, I'd love to tell you about that on your terms. Okay? We can't go in there being pain busters and try to make everything better and fix. That would make her feelings worse. She's going to go, great, now nobody in the church likes me and neither do you. All right? So TCBers fight against that need to fix. And by the way, it is an emotional need to fix fixers. Fixers are often like, well, I don't have a lot of emotional need. Well, you have an emotional need to fix. 
All right, now us abuse, uh, uh, abusers. <laughs> that was a good. Those of us who abuse our spouses with all of our emotional needs. Those of us who are abiders. What do we need? <laughs> I'm going to have to tell Norma that. Something in me has empathy for you. Um, <laughs> number one, learn to ask for closeness instead of criticize, demand, act disappointed. I had this woman in my office not long ago, and she said, um, I cooked dinner, and we sat down for dinner, and he immediately got on his phone. And so naturally, she said, I responded, can you just put down your phone for like five minutes and talk to me? Kind of makes me want to cuddle. How about you? (laughs) You hear what she was doing? She was wanting more closeness, but instead of asking for it or engaging it, she attacked him which is going to keep her from getting the very thing she wants. And a lot of the dynamic in the dance is to the degree that our TCB spouses experience our longing for closeness as a demand, they've disappointed us again, then they're going to feel like, oh my gosh, nothing I do is good enough, and cue the dance. They're going to pull away, and we're going to be disappointed again, and there's even less closeness, blah, blah, blah. So I want you to reflect on what it would sound like and look like for you to ask your spouse for more closeness. Really sophisticated stuff here this morning, okay? I would even say, you know what? I would really like to be closer with you later on tonight. I know you've had a hard day, but I want to at least kind of put that out there. Would you be willing to do that? I love the phrase, would you be willing? Because it says implicit in it, this is not about my control. I'm not going to be all mad if you don't. I'm asking you to check your own willingness. Would you be willing and whenever we have a spouse who, who is being difficult or pulling away from us, I want to at least start my interventions with them by asking them. We're so very rarely asked in our world. Once we can get the demand vibe out of there and the disappointed vibe out of there, um, there's a lot more opportunity for them to be coming in. So ask, don't tell. Um, relevant to this issue regarding you know, um, our needs as talkers and connectors being overwhelming, Don't forget the fact that I lived with a wife and three daughters. Like, I lived with four women for 20-something years. All they ever did was talk and relate and connect. And even though I'm an abider, that got overwhelming to me. You know, it's like I was watching tennis one day, and you know that line judge guy who sits up in the chair, and the crowd's all loud, and he goes, quiet, please. I'm like, I need one of those guys at my house. (laughs) You know, at the supper table, it's like, quiet, please. Everybody, you're awesome. Chris Rock says, you notice I quote him a lot. He's my favorite Reformed theologian. But uh, Chris Rock says, you know, when your woman says, I wish we talked more, what she means is, I wish I talked more and you sat there and listened to me. All right? So that's how, that's how our TCB spouses can often feel about us, Okay. Now, number two, another point for abiders, share your feelings, but remember your feelings are still your responsibility, okay? In other words, share your heart, but remember your reactions, your, your issues are your responsibility. This is huge for us connectors. Uh, instead of saying, I feel lonely in our marriage, Trojan virus implication there being, you're doing something wrong. What are you going to do about it? Okay, responsibility says, I'm feeling lonely lately, and I'm not sure what that's about. 
I'm trying to figure it out. I'm talking to some of my body of Christ people in my small group. This may be my issue, not yours, but, but uh, I wanted you to know, and I want you to be with me in it. It might be something about us. Can we explore that together? You hear the responsibility? You hear the keep you in there? This is also the fourth eye we talked about, choosing what to do with an emotion rather than just blowing up with it. And that's going to feel so good to your problem solver spouse who otherwise is going to feel like you're dumping another emotional problem on their doorstep and they're going to want to pull away and we cue our dance again, okay? So your feelings are your responsibility. Secret of the universe. The goal of intimacy is to be known, not for your spouse to make you feel better, okay? We abiders need to remember that. Share, but remember there could be a hundred reasons you feel the way you do that have nothing to do with your spouse. Another way of saying this is sharing your feelings is not the same as doing your feelings. You know, your, your, your spouse starts sobbing because they're worried about your marriage and having a breakdown with anxiety. Oh, hey, I'm just sharing my feelings. No, you're not. You're doing them. Can I remember doing your feelings? I'm so scared about your job and I want to talk about that. That's just real different from somebody going, oh my gosh, we're going to live in a trailer. <laughs> hey, I'm just sharing my feelings. No, you're not. You're carpet bombing Cambodia with your feelings, okay? And that's just going to set off your spouse, cue the dance. All right. Last thing for um, abiders, and this applies to everybody, of course, because we were talking about this last night, same thing. Have other resources in your life. This is applicable to everything we've talked about all weekend long, but let's apply it to connectors. I know that some of you really long for more closeness in your marriage. And there are a lot of things, there are a few things that feel as painful as longing for more closeness in a marriage and it not being there. And I hope we've made it clear that it's very important for you to be working toward growing and greater intimacy and learning to be more close. But there's more to the story than that. And I know this is a cultural no-no, to say this, but I'm just going to crawl out on that limb and start sawing. But marriage was never intended to be the sole resource for meeting all of my life needs for intimacy. Well, for some kind of intimacy, okay? (laughs) God created us to have deep sharing with our spouse. Yes, for real. But if you think about it, the New Testament talks a lot more about intimacy in the body of Christ than it does about intimacy in marriages. And our culture, even our Christian culture, has turned marriage into this new thing. Marriage is this ultimate fount of all of my needs. You know, you guys need some special little couple time together. You know, some cute couple time. You need to get away. Or if you're a single, it's like, oh, we need to get you a wife. Like, that's going to be the answer to your problems. God never says that. He says, in the body be one with none, one another, go to one another, love one another, bear with one another, confront one another, confess one another, be one in the body. And since our culture has lost that culture of nurturing, growing body life together, like we talked about last night, we've invented things like therapy and small groups, which are great, but we've turned marriage into this thing I don't think it was ever intended to be, this secret little special place where I'm going to get all my needs met. At last, you're no one, nobody until somebody loves you, as the song says. And it's no wonder we're all disappointed. Our culture, our media, everything says marriage is going to be wonderful. Think about the old Sally, no, what was her name? 
sleepless in Seattle? What's the cute girl? Yeah, Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan movies. Here's a Meg Ryan movie. Well, here's every Meg Ryan movie. She's cute and she's successful, but she's alone. And then a guy comes and he puts in a bookstore or he emails her or he's an angel or, or he's from the past. It's all the same story, okay? <laughs> and she's got a golden retriever, but that's all she's got because she didn't have, and her, and her cynical urban friends are like, oh girl, it's not ever going to work for you. Give up on men, but she doesn't give up, okay? And by the end of the movie, she's cute and she's smart and she's independent, but she's found love. And that's what we're taught. That's the party line in America. So then when your marriage starts to feel bad, we think, oh my gosh, my marriage must be terrible. Maybe I married the wrong person, something's wrong. But it's because we've made marriage into this thing that's supposed to be the ultimate fount of wonder. And that's never what it was supposed to be. It's supposed to be two broken, struggling humans hammering this out together. And this is no wonder now that singles panic and go, oh my gosh, what if I never get married? I'll miss out on the fount of wonder. Okay? So, TCB or abider, to echo what we were saying last night, in order to have a good marriage, we need to have rich, truth-telling relationships outside of our marriage. People we've learned are strong and are wise, and we need those guys in the background. Otherwise, we have marriages in which at some level, I am living my marriage trying to get my needs met from you. I want you to relate to me in a way in which I feel like I am a success and a powerful, cool man. And you, at the same time, are relating to me in a way to try to get all of your unresolved emotional needs met, for you to feel secure and adored and connected to. And now I'm trying to get all my needs met from you, and you're trying to get all your needs met from me, and we have a situation that we call in Mississippi, two ticks and no dog. <laughs> Welcome to every marriage I see in my office. So you want to develop a better marriage, we need resources outside of our marriage feeding in new blood transfusion, okay? A good marriage should be like two people, both of whom have a good picnic basket. And mine has some pretty good junk in it, and so does yours. Um, and if you decide you don't want to eat with me because you're in a bad mood today, well, that's sad, but I got good stuff in my picnic basket. What most of us are is we have empty picnic baskets, but I see your picnic basket and go, oh, I bet you've got a lot of good stuff. I can't wait to get in there. Now, the problem is you don't have anything in your picnic basket either. And you're thinking the same thing about me. So we go get married, and it's like, let the celebration begin. Bring it on. And they're like, what? I thought you were going to feed me. And there we go, okay? All right, so better marriage, be developing these kind of relationships. Now, what happens is I get goodies from you in our relationship, and then I come home kind of filled up, and guess what? The dance didn't happen, Okay? Because I'm not coming with all that urgency and needfulness, abiders. All right. All right. Now, as Forrest Gump says, I, that's all I got to say about that. Um, let's take a break till um, uh, tw 25 till, 35 after the hour. <laughs>